We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This is a championship edition. We're fast forwarding to the year 2020. The Chicago White Sox, your World Series champions, Matt. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, doing a little forecasting right off the bat here. Hope you had a wonderful weekend, but we're back at it talking Chicago sports and a blockbuster trade deal that was in the past week. Yeah, you know, like like you talked about uh, last week, we had that interview with David Kaplan, and we did that Thursday morning in about uh, 20 minutes or so after I, I, I was done putting that together and sat down. I was actually listening to Cap's show, had the Twitter open, and uh, wow, Jose yeah. Quintana to the Cubs. That's, that's something even I said in the interview, um, which you'll hear, I didn't think was going to happen or would happen just because I don't really see the teams dealing with each other. But wow, I, it, it's, it's almost a week later, and I'm still speechless. Yeah, and that was you bring up a good point there, Matt. That you know you don't see the teams dealing with one another. That's something that I've been very happy about in the wake of this. I haven't heard much boneheadedness from either side here in terms of you can't deal with the team across town. You can't do this. You can't do that. We've we've broached this topic before on the podcast, and we both think that's pretty asinine. And I'm glad that uh, that neither of these front offices kind of held true to whatever superstition that's rooted in. Exactly. And I, I do think there was something maybe before this year, like last year when they were moving sale, that maybe somewhere in the back of you know Jerry Reinsdorf's head, he didn't want to be the guy to give the Cubs that missing piece that finally ended that streak, which I still don't totally buy, but I, you can, I can see that argument. Mm-hmm. After the Cubs won and everything, it, now it just makes no sense. The Sox were in, in full rebuild mode. They needed to take the best deal possible. Theo offered it. Let's make a deal. There, there's, there shouldn't ever be this notion that these two teams can't deal with each other, especially now that that curse is broken and they're basically just two normal teams again. Yeah, it's kind of no holds barred in that sense, Matt. You mentioned it a little bit before. Interview with Dave Kaplan coming up in about 10 minutes on the podcast here. If you don't want to listen to us talk, we completely understand that interview is going to hit a little bit later on. But before we get to that, let's talk about this trade. I really liked it from an unbiased standpoint. I know that's hard to say because we are both proclaimed Sox fans, but I, I, I root for the Cubbies. I, I like, I like the direction that they're going. I like that the windows open right now. They're fun to watch, but I like this trade most of all because everybody stayed in their given lane. Usually in a trade, somebody freaks out. Somebody goes against a current plan. And by somebody, I mean the Chicago white Sox usually freak <laughs> out around this time in the season, but the Sox, stuck to the plan here. They did exactly what they needed to do, and the Cubs went and got that solid starter in Quintana. So I just really – usually there's a winner and a loser to a trade, and you know both sides here are going to try and say that they're the winner just because of the rivalry, but I think that both teams come out winners here to, to whatever varying degree that is. I'm glad you brought up fans kind of – are going to try and say that you know their side was the winner here. I, a lot of the fan reaction I've seen, whether it's sports, radio, Twitter, all that, everyone across the board seems to be saying this deal pretty makes happy. Great sense for both sides. No one really is proclaiming themselves the winner. I feel like yeah. Cubs fans know that they got exactly what they needed. And while they might be a little bit unhappy that you know they move their top two prospects in their system, they know that this is what you do once you get to this stage when your window's, window's open. You open. You move whatever open. you have down there to yeah. get what you need up here, and that's that's what they're doing. And while they might not have that next exciting prospect in line, that's okay because all those guys are up already. Um, and on the White Sox side of town, sure, it's it's tough to see Jose Quintana go, probably even more so than Chris Sale, if you ask me, because Quintana I always felt a little bit you know, bad for. He never really got the attention, never really got the run support, but he was almost always as effective as Sale. And, you know, seeing him... Going out uh, yesterday and, and that was a Camden Yards and, and get that four runs of run support by the second inning. It was nice to see him kind of finally get to pitch with that lead, get that run support. Then once he had it, he was absolutely dominant. I think he struck out 12 over seven innings yesterday. Yeah, only surrendering three hits. And the stat line there that really sticks out to me that I think is something that the Cubs are looking for in that consistency in a, in a middle of the 
a rotation starter, no walks by Quintana yesterday. He was in control of it, and obviously that's easy to do when you have a four-run four lead in the second inning. You kind of fall into your game a little bit more, but he had all of his pitches going. It, it was it was the debut that Cubs fans looked for and, and a little bit of a dagger in the back of the Chicago White Sox fan base. But if we're going to break down the ethos of the trade here and everyone trying to you know, make sense of the change that just occurred. I disagree with you a little bit, Matt, in the sense that the sale loss wasn't as big as this or this rivals the sale loss because from a fan standpoint, I loved Chris Sale. I loved Mark Burley. I loved certain guys. I loved certain Blackhawks, and it hurts to see those guys that you love go. I liked Jose Quintana. Jose Quintana was great. He was an outstanding pitcher. If you were going to the ballpark and Quintana was spinning that day, you knew you were going to go watch a good ball game. You, you knew the Sox had a chance when Quintana was on the mound. But I don't know if the fan base ever adopted him as their son, as they do with so many of these other guys, so many of these other pitchers. That's why I think being able to rationalize this trade might have been a little easier for the fan base. See, I think I think yeah, I actually do agree with you. They never really got the chance to fully adopt Quintana as that next great fan favorite. I do think mm-hmm. he was for this however many months of baseball we've had. I think he kind of became that next guy up. He just wasn't really here long enough to develop into as much of it as you know a Sale or a Burley was. Um, but I, I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought that up because it segment it transitions me to a different topic. Not different topic, but same vein. Um, Rick Hahn said, I believe it was on one of the, the Barstool Baseball co- uh, podcasts a couple months ago when they were asking him about, you know, trading sale and comparing that to, you know, what you want to get back for, for Quintana. He said, you know, when you move a Chris Sale, you know, it's, it's a massive deal in baseball. You know, the team knows what they're getting. Um, owner's going to hold a big press conference. Great, you know, fa- you know the, the fans are all excited about it. And Rick Hahn got a great package back for Chris Sale. It's, it, it was as good as you could have gotten. And then he moves Co- Jose Quintana. And basically gets the same style, same type of package, maybe just a little bit worse, one tick below it, for a guy who doesn't create that same fanfare, not that big name. So I think mm-hmm. this is a great testament to, to what the, the, you know, the job that Rick Hahn is doing on the south side. He, he is getting everything he wants from all these teams. I'm sure that's a little bit because of the market and what you know, the, the, the prices are demanding now. But Rick Hahn just basically got a Chris Sale-esque return for Jose Quintana for someone he admitted you know, doesn't bring the same fanfare, doesn't quite bring the same ilk name as, as a Chris Sale did. Yeah, he was able to, uh, you know, he was able to market, he was able to exploit, not exploit, but he was able Take to capitalize, he was able to capitalize on another team's need, and at the same time, he was able to fulfill Jose Quintana's potential, because like you said, teams might not have given the Sox or Jose Quintana the credit that he deserves for the body of work that he has, because he has always been in the shadow of the top strikeout artist in the entire major league right now. So um, not the, not the splash in the name, but got the splash in the return, like you said, Matt. And that was huge for the White Sox because as this plan continues to move forward and your, your farm system becomes one of the, if not the best in the entire major leagues, you're starting to see, you're starting to see growth. You're starting to see the buds grow on the plant a little bit. You're starting to see the plant starting to sprout because when these rebuilds are happening, you saw it on the North side. It can be hard sometimes when you don't see uh, those immediate, returns on your investment or the immediate returns on your decision making because the early stages of a rebuild are oftentimes ugly the Sox are I don't know if they're spacing it out but they're allowing the fan base to give them the time by continuing to follow this plan and and not deviate from it which is very important yeah that was uh this this first series back against Seattle was a little bit of a wake-up call of kind of what we're getting into I think uh, probably yeah. the next you know rest of this season and next season it was it was tough to see um, but I, I think behind that you know that 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 minor league system is is now so stacked that like you said it's it's the best in baseball now I don't I'm not sure there's much you know to argue there um, I think they have nine top 100 prospects um, it's 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 going to be tough over the next year and a half or so but I, I think they're Within about you know about a year from now, I think we're going to start seeing all those pieces start to come up. I'm, I'm not sure who's going to be the first one, but I know that's going to create some big headlines. But we've talked about this from the Sox perspective, Joe, from the Cubs side of things. They uh, Looks like, they, they feel look a little rejuvenated, don't they? Those those bats yeah. seem to wake up a little bit. A three game sweep uh, following the All Star break, following a blockbuster trade. It, 
it's exactly what the doctor ordered to to be cliche about it because they looked like the team the team on the field looked like the team on paper finally this weekend and uh they don't gain much ground on on the brewers but to see that sweep to see them get off on the right foot where it seems like nothing has really gone right for them this season um it's got to be a good feeling on the north side because I don't know if it's Jose Quintana or just the time off, but they seemed injected with a little bit of extra energy. Yeah, I'd say it's a little bit of – I probably think it's a combination of both. That time off is probably good for everybody. But having that, you know, vote of confidence for management and after, you know, Theo had kind of said, you know, you guys are on your own here. Do this yourselves. He went out and actually got them that help, said, hey, we, are, we believe in you. Here's exactly what you need. Um, granted, Baltimore's pitching is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but – the Cubs did what very good, great lineups should do to terrible pitching. We'll see what happens. You know, if they when they start to, I think they got St. Louis coming up uh, at the end of this week. I'm not sure they got next, but Atlanta, they start to see some Atlanta, Atlanta here, that's right. Atlanta here next, and then St. Louis, which will be great for Quintana. You get your kind of feel them out start, and then you get your your yeah, second start right coming the against the Cardinals division rival. So I think that's uh, that's exactly the type of experience he needs to just not have those moments of doubt or those moments of transition. Just slide right into the fold and go out there and, and, uh, and you know, go get outs for these guys because that's, that's really what it boils down to when, when you're Jose Quintana because you're not always going to get those four runs, eight runs of support like he did yesterday. Luckily, luckily for him, though, he's pretty used to not getting that support. Yeah, he, he's, he's, he's played from behind a couple times. On one, 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 once or twice. <laughs> well, Matt, uh, it's an exciting time on both sides of town and uh, that is really – the main thing in the sports news cycle, especially in Chicago right now, is the Jose Quintana trade. Uh, we're going to get into our David Kaplan interview right now. We sit down with CSN Chicago, ESPN 1000, Cubs analyst, host, whatever you want to call him. He is one of a kind, Dave Kaplan, uh, a good friend of ours, a good friend of the podcast, has done great things for both of our careers in the past, and he was nice enough to sit down with us here on the Moose and Rune podcast, chat for a couple minutes. As we said, this interview took place about 20 minutes before the Quintana trade broke, so a bit of victim of timing, but we touch on a lot of things throughout the interview. We talk Mitch Trubisky, we talk Cubs Sox, uh, we get his confidence meter, his worry meter, which I'm sure will be a lot different today than it was when we spoke to him, but... Uh, Nonetheless, let's, without uh, any further ado, here is our interview with the one, the only, David Kaplan. It's showtime. Ladies and gentlemen, we have an absolute treat from, for you. You know him from... Sports Talk Live on Comcast Sportsnet. You know him from Cap and Company on ESPN 1000. You know him from his book that they can't keep on shelves, The Plan. Ladies and gentlemen, David Kaplan joining the Moose and Runes podcast. Capper, so good to have you on. Great to be with two of my favorite guys. How you oh, guys don't, doing? Don't pump us up like that yet because we've got an important well, question that we're going to close on, and uh, we're going to see who is, who is your favorite guy. That, that, that's a little tease for the people. We'll get to that one. <laughs> All right. Good. All right. Well, Cap, we're gonna we're gonna start things off with the elephant in the room. Your boys, the Chicago Cubs, the championship glow has worn off. The first half from hell. Give me one glaring issue that needs to be dealt with. What went wrong in the first half? Starting pitching. I mean, you look at where it was a year ago. I mean, you're I think almost two runs worse this year. And I talked to Ryan Dempster yesterday. He said. Look, when you pitch deep into October in 15, into November in 16, he goes, those innings pile up and they take a toll. And hopefully in the second half you get a healthy Kyle Hendricks, you add another arm through a trade, and you feel like maybe, just maybe, you can make a run at the Milwaukee Brewers. So, you know, mm-hmm. they're not down and out, but they're not in the position that they want to be. But it totally, 100% is starting pitching. Absolutely. Now, Kev, one of the things that uh, Joe and I have gone back and forth a little bit here on the podcast is is missing that table setter at the top of the order. I'm really of the belief that that's that's really important to this Cub offense because I think behind Fowler last year they had a lot of you know power hitting guys, guys who drove in runs. And while that those power numbers now up in the leadoff spot this year, the you know the on base percentage is down, the batting average is down. How much do you think they miss that top of the order presence, that table setter, or do you think it's more just a collective slump throughout the lineup? 
Uh, I don't believe they miss the table center as much as you do. I think you know, people get caught up in that you know, old-school baseball. i got to have a little flea at the top of the lineup. Then i got to have some guy who really can't hit, but he can bunt guys over, and he can hit behind runners, and he hits second. And then we put our best hitter third, and then a big fat guy that hits home runs fourth. And then the next fat guy that hits home runs is fifth. That's old baseball. You put your best hitters at the top of the lineup, you know, Chris Bryant hitting two. Well, you get 19 fewer at-bats as you go down the order from one to two, two to three, blah, 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 blah. Well, more Chris Bryant is better than less Chris Bryant. Now, was Schwarber the right choice? I don't believe he hit poorly because he was leading off. I hit, believe he hit poorly because he hit poorly. David DeJesus, who led off for 13 years almost, said, if I went 0 for 4 leading off or 0 for 4 hitting eighth, it didn't matter. I was upset with myself. No more pressure in either spot. Cap, I couldn't agree with you more there. I've been pounding that drum, and Runes won't listen to me. He loves the leadoff hitter. The numbers don't support it anymore. My question in that vein is how much are the Cubs missing Rossi and Fowler just from a clubhouse standpoint? Those were, not to be cliche, but those were glue guys. They rallied around those guys. You saw it when when Dex signed the contract, the one-year contract. I remember that video of them all out in Mesa hugging each other. How much are they missing just those personalities there? Yeah, I think they're missing. I don't know if it's leadership, but I think it's that cohesiveness. You know, the locker room's a different place. I think it's Anthony Rizzo's locker room, but, you mm-hmm. know, you're asking a 27-year-old to lead a group of men as opposed to, you know, you had Dexter Fowler, he's 30. You had David Ross, he's 38. It's hard to ask pitchers who don't play every day to be the vocal leader in a clubhouse. So I think they're still... They're trying to figure that out, who's the mm-hmm. real leader. And then they've had their issues. Montero's no longer here. He had an issue. Addison Russell's had a serious issue. You know, some of it is a language thing. I mean, some of the Latin players aren't as fluent in English. You know, Javi yeah. Baez isn't going to stand up and be the vocal leader in the clubhouse. Schwarber's been struggling. He can't be the vocal leader. Albert Elmore's 23. So it's just different. Chris Bryant's not a vocal leader. Good dude, good player. So that's what they're missing. People aren't really sure where to look at the moment. Exactly. I've always said, nationally, Chris Bryant's the face of the Cubs. Won the MVP Mm -hmm. and all of that. Good-looking guy. In the clubhouse and in Chicago, it's Anthony Rizzo's team. Chris might be the most talented player. Rizzo is the face of the cup. You can you can just sense it in their personalities. KB is that kind of soft-spoken guy. 100% agree. He's very – like he didn't speak at the rally. He just had no interest. <laughs> That's not him. That's not his style. Now, no. Cap, Cap, you brought up Schwarber in the last uh, couple answers here, so I, I had an interesting question I wanted to ask now – answer, excuse me. Um, there's that report coming out that now Theo might have been shopping him for Michael Fulmer, seeing if they can do a trade there. Do you think going down, you know, four or five years from now, Kyle Schwarber's value to this team is more so as a bat in that lineup or a trade ship that they can use to bring in a guy like a Michael Fulmer or, you know, Jose Quintana, for lack of a better name right now? I know the, the trading with the Sox isn't that likely, but do you think he's more of a, a staple in that lineup or a trade ship to really get that rotation back to Do I think he's a staple in the lineup? I do think he is a staple in that lineup because I think he's starting to hit the ball better. Now, if you told me somebody truly made them an amazing offer for a controllable starter, whether they thought he was a staple or not, I don't think they would have a problem making a trade if they felt it would make them better. I think they'd prefer to keep his bat in the lineup, but I don't think Theo's stupid. If someone called and said, hey, we'll trade you Chris Sale, or we'll trade you somebody that you go plug and play for the next five years, I think they would listen. Okay. Yeah, if you have if you have that opportunity, you got to take it. It kind of leads us into our next one here, Cap. Who is a player? Who have you identified as someone who can take this Cubs roster to the next level, level whether it be in pitching, a veteran catcher, or a vet, just a veteran presence? Who's someone you'd like to see on this roster before the deadline? Well, I mean, other than pitching? Yeah. Yes. Other than pitching, I mean, I think you need a veteran catcher, be a backup, a guy like Alex Avila. But he's not somebody that, oh, my God, look who we got. You know, he was very mediocre with the White Sox. He's had a much better year in Detroit. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I I don't know if there is a position player. Lorenzo Cain, 
if the Royals got themselves into sell mode, somebody like that. I personally don't think there's going to be a position player coming other than a backup catcher. I just don't see it. I do think there'll be a starting pitcher acquired. Kind of opposite yeah. that here, Cap. See, you named a couple people that you might want to see come here. Who would be the least, you know, of the, the big four names kind of being thrown around there, you know, traded off the main roster, I guess three, you know, Schwarber, Hap, Bias. As a Cubs fan, who would you be most, you know, sad, upset, you know, hurt to see go? Schwarber, Hap, Baez. Uh, Pavi Baez, no question. I like Ian Hap. I think he's a really good player. I think he's Ben Zobrist at a young age with a little more power. Um, I think Schwarber probably at some point is going to fit into the American League at some point. Uh, but Pavi Baez is so good in so many ways, and I think he'll continue to get better. So that would be the one that would bother me. Yeah, and you you win a championship, it's hard not to fall in love with your guys and to see a guy like Javi, who who was an integral part of that roster last year. That's always tough. We, we, we did it with the Blackhawks, and it would be tough to do it again here with the Cubbies. Cap, you're with this team on a day-to-day basis. You see these guys. You kind of have your finger on the pulse. Some rumblings of internal strife with the Cubs right now. I know things haven't gone easy, and yeah, you're going to get a little friction when things aren't going well. But have you sensed anything out of the ordinary with this team? Can you tell that there's a difference between a year ago? No, I don't see. You know, we talked earlier about the David Ross and mm-hmm. you know Dexter Fowler, but no, I, there's no internal strife there. I think the one guy that some guys didn't get along with is the guy who's no longer there, and that's yeah. um, Miguel Montero. So no, and I then, really don't see that. That started on the heels of a championship when you're complaining about your playing time. So we kind of knew that there was already uh, a little bit of strife there. Cap, we're going to close up Cubs talk here in a second. Before we do, you mentioned it a little bit earlier. Uh, on the faith meter, wh- where are you at? We're not going to talk about panic right now, but how much faith do you have in this team that they can go make a run at the Brewers? Uh, I do believe they will make a run. Will they run them down and get them? Not sure yet. Got to see where they're at on the 28th. Um, you know, you look at that team. I'm looking at the 28th of July. That's two weeks from tomorrow. Trade deadline's three days later. If I look up and they're eight and a half, nine, ten games back, then I'm, I'm in sell mode. I'm trading Wade Davis. I'm trading John Jay. I can re-sign them in the offseason. They're both free agents. But I'm going to do what the Yankees did and be prudent uh, if they are, you know, five back, three back, two back, whatever, then I'm going out and I'm getting the pitcher. So I do think they can run them down. Not convinced yet till I see where their pitching is in a couple of weeks, how they started the second half. Okay, Joe yeah. and I have kind of been of the same belief here that we think the Cubs are going to run them down, that this, is just, this won't really, this whole season-wide slump thing won't last. But how good are the Brewers exactly? Because I think throughout this entire season, people have been saying, you know, they're not going to stick, they're not going to be up there the whole way. But then they go out, I think it was the week before the All-Star break, sweep Baltimore, take two out of three from the Yankees, and had that game where was it fourteen to two against the Cubs? How good are these guys? Uh, I think they're better than people think, but I don't think they're starting pitching. You don't look at it and go, "Oh my God, look at that pitching yeah. staff." You know, I think they have some good offense. I think they need a healthy Ryan Braun. Uh, you know, I like a lot of the things that they have, but I don't think you look at that team and go, "How are we running them down?" That's yeah. not the Dodgers over there. That's not the Astros over there. It's a team that's played above its head. They have some really good young pieces. They have a good rebuild going, but I, I just don't see them going almost wire to wire to win the division. I don't. Yeah, it's not something that we expected during uh, before the season, and it's kind of something that we might not be convinced of until it comes to fruition. A word you used a couple minutes ago, Cap, is prudence. You want to see prudence out of the Cub if they get into that sell mode. Prudence is something I wanted to see from the Chicago Bears this offseason, and I don't think that I did. We're going to get to a little Bears talk here, Cap. You sat down with the with the quote-unquote future of the ball club. Mitch Trubisky a couple weeks ago did a phenomenal interview. Uh, we, we want to get your feelings on your first impressions on Trubisky. When you sat down across from this guy, did he strike you as a franchise quarterback? Yes, I like this guy a lot. I'm a big fan. I like Here's what I like the most. Look, I'm not paid to evaluate quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like We all like to think we can do that, but I'm not. <laughs> However, I can evaluate general managers and how they do their job, and I like the fact that Ryan Pace 
basically said, here's the deal. That's the guy I feel like I have to get, and I am going to move heaven and earth to do it. And he gave up two threes and a four to go from three to two, and then got the four back in another trade. Well, if he addressed quarterback, which we've been screaming about for 50, 60 years here, the last real unbelievable quarterback we had was Sid Luckman in 1945. Well, if that's the case, and this is the right guy, two threes are going to stand in your way? It's not like you gave up three number ones. The the asking price, obviously, if we look at it from five years from now, the asking price hopefully looks like something minuscule. But my only issue with it now, we say it's hard to evaluate quarterbacks, but I'm going to do my best armchair GM impression right now. If you look at quarterbacks that have come into the league since 2013, there's been 58 guys, nine of them are starters, one has seen playoff action. It's all about the situation you adopt. It's less about your experience. It's less about how many reps you took. It's less about how many Heisman trophies you got. It's less about national championships. It's about the situation you come into. And that one guy that's been to the playoffs is Dak Prescott, who came into a pretty darn good situation. I just didn't feel like the Bears' situation was ready for their franchise guy. But it's like, you know, you're both single. But what happens if you walk out of taping this podcast and you meet the love of your life? You may not be ready to get married. That may not be in your plan right now. I'm going to focus on my career. I'm going to hang with my buddies. And I am not getting ready to settle down. And you meet someone, you go, that's the person. I can't let them go. Well, that's how Ryan Pace felt about Mitchell Trubisky. And I talked to John Gruden, and he told me a story that he was sitting. They were doing their evaluations for the draft several years ago. He's the coach in Tampa. He said, I bring this kid in. I work him out. He said, I bring him in. I put him on the whiteboard. I love his intellect. I got to get him on the whiteboard. And I, I talked to him. Exactly. I talked to him. And he said, Guy leaves, I tell my staff, we've got to take that guy. And they're like, we're not taking a quarterback. Come on, we're good. He goes, we'd won a Super Bowl. We didn't really need to take a quarterback, but we thought about taking a quarterback. We end up passing on him. And he goes, Aaron Rodgers turned out to be my biggest mistake in my life. He said, and I'm yeah. not coaching anymore because I made that mistake. He said, you never know when that guy shows up. And if you can, if the strength of your conviction, you make the move. Well, I, I hope that we are looking back on this conversation, and I can say that it was wrong because I'm rooting for I'm rooting for the kid more than anyone else. I, I just didn't know if the timing was right, and hopefully, hopefully, Pace, like you said, saw his guy. You got to give him credit for going after him. Yeah, I find out. I've been on the opposite side of Joe here. I actually, I'm, I'm with you here, Cap. I think Pace saw his guy went out and got him. Doesn't matter if they, the Bears were necessarily ready for that franchise quarterback, but I'm actually a little bit higher on where the Bears are than Joe. I think they have a very solid offensive line. I think they have a very good running back. Their receiving core isn't great, but I think their defense on the other side of the ball, I think they have a potential for a great front seven. I believe Vegas has the over-under at five-and-a-half wins for this Bears team. I want to go in the over there. I think, granted, their their first five games, I think it it is pretty tough, but where do you have this team? I'm going to go to Vegas. I'm going to play the over on the Bears and the under on the Bulls. Over on the Bears, under on the Bulls. That doesn't... That doesn't uh, sound like the worst idea. That five and a half does strike me as a little low. I think they'll be right around there. It's hard to look at the schedule and see six wins. But, but Cap, you talk about the Bulls. You came up scouting. You got a good look at these guys. Uh, Matt and I were talking about this the other day. A lot of moves at, at the United Center on both the ice and the hardwood. Whose offseason do you like more right now, the Blackhawks or the Bulls? Wow, that's a great question. Who's offseason do I like better, the Blackhawks or the Bulls? Look, I think Stan Bowman is one of the most overrated executives this city has ever seen. I really believe that. Uh, I think a lot of their salary cap problems are of his own doing. I mean, I would love to negotiate my next contract against that guy. Uh, nice man. I think he's done some good things, obviously, but let's not forget that the bulk of the core that won three Stanley Cups wasn't drafted by Stan Bowman. It was drafted by his predecessor, Dale Talon. Um, you know, when you have players openly say, wow, we were blown away by the first offer, so we signed it, means you're a little too aggressive in trying to sign somebody. You need to be a little bit more prudent in a 
system where the cap is hard. This isn't like we've got a Larry Bird exception, we got a trade exception, and we can go eighty billion over because it's our own guy. That's not how the NHL works. You either fit or you don't. So I think the Bulls at least picked a lane. I don't know if I love their off season because they're going to be so god awful, but they picked a lane. And now let's see how they execute. The Blackhawks love that they got Brandon Sod back. I'm not sure what they got back in Patrick Sharp, uh, and I still think they're at least one defenseman liked. Absolutely. So, so you lean towards the Bulls on this one. I, I, I tend to see a trend building here, Cap. You're, you're rewarding uh, a vision. You're rewarding guys going out there and, like you said, sticking to a lane, whether it be the Bears, Blackhawks, or the Bulls. Cap, you play a little game on your show called, if I, if I, correct me if I'm wrong here, you call it Shot or No Shot? Is that shot correct? or No Shot, correct. All right, we, we got a little game on our side here called Buy or Sell. And mm-hmm. same premise, we're going to pose you something, and you either give us a shot or no shot or a buy or a sell. How's that sound? Okay. Yeah. Sound good? All right, we're going to go back here. We're going to hit a little bit more Trubisky. My first question, buy or sell, Mitch Trubisky is the Bears' starting quarterback on Monday, October 9th versus the Vikings. That's the Monday night game after the Thursday night game against the Packers, which they're probably going to take a 40-point loss. No <laughs> shot. No shot? No shot. I hope you're right here because that's. I feel like that's the worst thing they could do for this kid. Yeah. No. No shot. No right, shot gonna, on that one. I had to get some White Sox into here somehow because that's that's my team. That's Joe's team as well. Uh, buy or sell here, Cap. Before the trade deadline ends, we have Quintana, Frazier, Robertson, and Melky all out of town. I'm going to say no shot. I'll say that somebody in that group, at least one, probably two, will be moved, but I won't say all four. No shot. Do you think Quintana gets? Do I think Quintana? I am going to go against the grain and say they do not trade Quintana until the off season. I'm I'm worried that that's the case because we were talking about it last week on the podcast. There's a window with these guys, and you're kind of in Quintana's sweet spot last year, this year, maybe next year, but that window is going to eventually close, and you got to maximize what you can get back for the guy. You do, but you still have so much control. You could trade them in the off season. Yeah. All right, Cap. Well, we're gonna we're gonna wrap things up here. A quick one for us. We always get mailbag questions for, from some of our fans. We had a great one last week, and we know we had to go to you on this one. Mount Rushmore of Chicago food. We were talking about. So you got to pick your beef spot. You got to pick your hot dog spot. You got to pick your pizza spot, and you got to pick your steakhouse. Give us your Mount Rushmore of Chicago food coming from a true Chicago food authority. All right, I'm a big Giordano's guy. Pizza is real easy. Lou Malnati's. That was the Giordano's with a bunch of tomato sauce. No, <laughs> Lou Malnati's gets the pizza spot on the Mount Rushmore of Chicago food. Michael's in Highland Park gets the hot dog spot with Superdog a close second. Uh, and then my sake will go Chicago cut, 100%. Right. And what was the last one? Oh, Battalion uh, your, Beef. Your, Battalion your beef. beef spot. Uh, tell you what, there is a, there is a right people, answer here. Well, most people would say Al's, and I'm going to say the wrong answer. I am going to go Johnny's in Elmwood Park. There, there we is. go. He, he got it right. with the right answer? That was, a test. that was a test, and you passed it, Capper. Good stuff. Best. And if you want a little dessert, go to Mario's Italian Ice on Taylor. Ooh, can't beat it on Taylor. All right, Cap, well, before we wrap up here, tell the people what you got. Your book's out right now. You're signing books all over the place. Where can the people catch you? They can get me at Amazon.com, TriumphBooks.com, or BarnesandNoble.com. It's called The Plan, and it's done very well. It's all about the Cubs' rebuild, so I hope people will pick up a copy. Great stuff, Cappers. Thanks for coming on the show. Before we let you go, they say to never bury the lead, but that's exactly what we did here. You gave Matt and I both our starts in this business. Gave us a shot at Comcast. We both interned for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come straight out with it. Who was your favorite intern? Let's, let's remember who still works with you now and actually makes some of the graphics when you're on TV. My favorite <laughs> intern. I'd have to go Mike Farron, who's now the voice of the oh, Arizona Diamond. Oh, come on. That's a cop-out. I love you both. Thanks, Capper. Thanks for coming on. Ladies and gentlemen, David Kaplan of Comcast of CSN the hardest working man in Chicago sports. Capper, thanks for coming on. See you, boys. Appreciate the time, Cap. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty, 
pretty, pretty good. So there you have it, David Kaplan, ESPN 1000, CSN Chicago, a busy, busy man, made some time for us here on the Moose and Runes podcast. We can't thank him enough. Thank you again, Capper. We know you're listening. It's his new favorite podcast. Um, if you read between the lines there, Matt, I think he did answer the last question. I think it's cut and dry that I was the favorite intern. So. I don't know, Joe. I think he wanted – you could hear in the tone of his voice he wanted to say Matt, but he just – yeah. He just didn't want, to hurt he didn't want to hurt your feelings. See, no, I think he he knew that you're fragile, so he, oh, he just he took oh, that into a he yeah, took that he, into account. He knew you'd give a reaction, and he yeah. I don't think he wanted to deal with that. On a, you know, he's on he's on a nice podcast. He's had a nice like old a chat with his friends. He knows if he says me, you'll be like, no, you're lying. You're up and I get up in arms and all that. Even though it's yes. probably kind of so, I, I I think I know. Well, a <laughs> couple takeaways here, Matt, from from the pod. We might not have gotten to the bottom of our. Uh, of our most one, important question. But one day we one, will. Yeah, someday. someday. Um, one thing that we did get to the bottom of, and we've heard Cap beat the drum before, and I'm starting to come around on, on Mitch Trubisky. I don't like, again, I don't like how it all went down. I don't like the cost. I don't like what they did. But Cap makes the point that, that they identified their guy and they went out and got him. So um, some good stuff from him there on Chicago Bears. Um, Cap... Cap is a loyalist, and you can hear that in, in the way he talks about these things. And he's loyal to his teams, and I think that that loyalty sometimes can get in the way, but at the same time, it, it can show you the bigger picture. And I think that Cap gave us a good big picture on the Bears. And the more you look at it, the more realistic an over five and a half looks because if those if that defense comes together – and if uh, Glennon can hold off the water and we can get Trubisky some time in the film room for a little while, I, I think that a good thing can come from this. Maybe not six months from now, but maybe 18 months uh, months from now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think those first, I think we were talking about, first five games on, on that schedule are going to be really, really difficult games for the Bears. And I hope that they can come out with, you know, if they're going for that over five and a half like we want them to, I, I think you're hoping they come out with one or two. But I think after that, I, I think they're just going to be a lot more competitive defensively um, if they're he- if they're healthy this year. Uh, obviously, that's that's the big key. Eddie Goldman's never been able to stay healthy. Trevathan and uh, Freeman both missed time last year. But if that front seven is healthy, I think that front seven can be a top ten, top five front seven in football. It's just it's the it's the secondary that's going to scare me. And offensively, they do have a very solid offensive line. And I, I don't know if last year's Jordan Howard was just more of not really knowing who he was around the league and not really knowing what to expect from him. Hopefully he is this good and we can see some, some growth from him again. And I, I think you have a solid running game and a solid defense. That's not necessarily going to make you a playoffs by any means, but that, that means you can win and compete in every game you're going to be in. Yeah. I, not to get too detailed about, about Bears. Sorry. Right I just, now, we started I, talking. No, 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 no. I got excited. But I am, I am worried. I am worried about Jordan Howard here and, and a sophomore slump maybe because now, like you said, now now teams have film on him, and I think we were, as a fan base, just looking to fall in love on the heels of a Matt Forte breakup. So, um, you think he's I, our rebound? I, he might be our rebound, our rebound running back. So uh, it, that'll be seen this year, and he's going to have to get a lot of touches, regardless of who's playing quarterback. Just throw out the analysis, throw out the roster, throw out everything. Don't you dare put Mitch Trubisky under center before Week Eight. You're setting him up for failure, and I don't care if that's in Chicago. I don't care if that's in Minnesota, in Green Bay. Rookie quarterbacks don't fare that well, and don't give me the Dak Prescott outlier argument because he was standing behind the unequivocally the best defensive line or offensive line in the NFL with the best rookie running back behind him. So sometimes it can work. I don't think the Bears are in the position where a rookie quarterback is going to fare well. Joe, I agree with you 110%. And since we are just just uh, just over two weeks away from our first preseason game, I think we should put a halt on the football talk here. I know I got it started. We must. I, we got to save it. We got to save it. We gotta, we gotta save it. <laughs> we'll let it, we'll let once, it fester. I'll let it boil. Trust me, sure. two weeks from now, when we see, when we, I think it's two weeks from Thursday is going to be the first uh, preseason game. We're, we're going to probably have entirely football-filled podcasts. This will probably turn into the Moose and Runes football podcast. Knowing so us, that's but, so that's just a teaser for you fans. Just a uh, teaser. But I, back to Cap's interview. Um, I thought the most intriguing answer he gave, which is different from just about every opinion I've heard throughout the city, is the, the one about 
the off seasons on the uh, on the west side there who mm-hmm. had the, the better one i i'm a little bit surprised that he would think the the bulls had the better off season just because i think that that butler trade so many people are a little bit iffy on i know cap liked it i know cap's a big fan of lowry marketing um i know he's not necessarily a big fan of what what the hawks did or necessarily knows little, little where they're uh, going Little bone to pick, little little thorn in the side there with he's, Stan the man. He's not a Stan Bowman guy. Uh, it, yeah, apparently he, not. He does have some warranted arguments that Stan, you know, yeah. granted Stan didn't build this team, but he's done a great job navigating, you know, through the, the muddied cap waters, and he's thrown out some some questionable contracts to say Yeah, a least. couple but big contracts that put your team in he, some handcuffs. But He's gone more away from the Belichick method of it's better to get rid of them a two or year too early than a year too late. He's he's kept on to people you know a year too late. But that said, he's still got three Stanley Cups to his name. Maybe while the first one you can more attribute to what Dale Talon did. Um, I think from there on out, Stan's done a great job retooling this team and keeping them ready to compete every year. I couldn't agree with you more there, Matt. And as we said, thank you a million times to CSN ESPN 1000's David Kaplan. Uh, hopefully we can get him back on the podcast when October run, rolls around. Uh, maybe those maybe those Cubbies will be either in the driver's seat or at least uh, in contention here as they look to uh, sprint home in the second half. I was, I was very relieved, Joe, by his uh, his Italian beef choice too on the, the yes, there. yes, that was that was a yeah. test. I, I'm relieved because we would have had to end the call there yeah, with that was a test answer. and he passed. Congratulations. <laughs> All right, Matt. Well, it's been a good week, but. Uh, you got, got something bothering, don't you? I, I, I got a bone to pick. All right, let's hit it. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. You can't handle the truth. Boy, have you lost your mind, because I'll help you find it. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Matt, it... You know me. I don't know if you know this about me, but I, as a child, I, I never liked the circus. It was a freak show. It was scary. You got men on stilts. Uh, you know people aren't being treated right. You know that there's other issues at hand. And what we saw this week between McGregor and Mayweather was an absolute circus. I'll be the first one to tell you that I'm looking forward to this fight. I know a lot of people are. It's going to be fun. It might not be the best boxing match, but who am I to say what good boxing is? I'm here for the spectacle. I'm here for the excitement of it, which leads me to believe that I would have really enjoyed this four-city press tour that they went on. They went from London, or not in this order. They went L.A. I believe they went L.A. to Toronto to Brooklyn to – or L.A. Toronto, London, Brooklyn, I believe was the order. Whatever the order was, it was four straight days of just hyperbolic BS, and I was tired of it by about day two. And while the little snippets and the clips were fun to watch on Instagram or click on a Twitter link and listen to a funny line, I watched pretty much every minute of every one of these just to kind of have a comprehensive understanding of the two people that we're dealing with. And you heard the same thing every single day. Jabs here, jabs there, Floyd Mayweather yelling, Conor McGregor yelling in a cooler accent. It was absolutely mind-numbing, repetitive, and boring. You don't need to sell this thing. It sells itself. People are going to buy your $99 pay-per-view whether or not you take these guys and traipse them around on a tour. It's trash. And in boxing, in fight sports, in, in MMA, trash talk is built into these things. It, it, it's These press conferences are had strictly to have trash talk. In other sports, the trash talk has to come from camps. You're talking to the media, and then they respond to the media. It gives you a little bit of time to be calculated about things, and these two guys didn't have the time to be calculated, and that led to a circus. It led to racial undertones. It led to homophobic slurs. It, it, it it began to feel WWE in nature. It started to feel fake. And if this line starts to borderline on fake, because it's already a questionable matchup, I think that you're going to have a problem. Now, I don't think that problem is big enough to hurt pay-per-view sales or to hurt viewership. As I said, people have already bought it. They're already in on it. You didn't need it. The most important thing here is that I think they were a bit tone deaf in the way they did things in promotion. What's happening between now and August 26th? 
What major sporting event is occurring between now and August 26th? It's nothing. The sporting news cycle is yours. Spread the thing out. Give these guys some time to breathe. Give them time to think. Give them time to come up with a couple different jabs to keep this thing interesting. You just blew all your shots on four straight days. And frankly, it, it was a bit of a circus, man. Joe, I, I'm, I was... I, for one, I loved, I, I had a lot of fun watching it. Granted, I didn't watch every minute of you. I was one of those people who just kind of watched the snippets on social media. I am glad you brought up that last point, though, because I think that's the thing I agree with you most here is I don't know why this was done for four straight days. What, um, I because by what the end the of it, by there? day four, I, I will admit, like, yeah, it was a little bit old. I had seen and heard everything, and what, you know, what it led to was them just you know trying to one-up each other and, the, and themselves every day, and it got it did get a little bit inappropriate. It got a little bit... Tone deaf, I think, is a good way to put it. Whereas if they spread these things out over, you know, I don't know, four events over two weeks, something like that, two and a half weeks. I know these guys have training schedules, but they can train wherever they are for these promotional events. I, I think that would have done them so much better. The material, I guess, would have been fresher. It sounds like I'm talking about a stand-up comedy routine, not a... Uh, That's what it is, though, Matt. It's a not, performance. Not a, this is we're in, we're in the performing arts right now. At least we're in that segment of it. This won't be anything but a performance until the bell rings in round one on August 26th. Oh, I totally agree. It, this is a this is all pre-planned. And once they get into that ring, it will be a fight. Both of these men very much want to win. But I'm of the firm belief that this is all going according to a plan that was set in motion about a year and a half, two years ago when this, this first started leaking into the media, when they first started talking about the idea of this. I yeah. think they've been on this in on this since day one. I don't think they hate each other. I think they want to beat the hell out of each other when they get into the ring. But I think right now this is just a masterfully put together plan of how to architect the biggest, you know, probably the highest grossing fight in the history of the sport. And I, I think this is working exactly how they wanted it to. And I think this is maybe the first misstep that they've had. Yeah, I was going to say, Matt, if this is if this is a year and a half in the works of planning, someone over that year and a half should, should have said, hey, what, what about this back-to-back-to-back-to-back press conference we're going to do? This doesn't make much sense. I understand. They have to get into their camps. They have to train. They have to do this. They have to do that. But don't tell me that you can't schedule it. When you schedule things with time between it, you allow things to happen. So in press conference one, McGregor could have made fun of the tax evasion and this and that. By press conference two, there would have been something new. Uh, apparently, yesterday, McGregor got knocked out by one of his sparring partners, uh, uh, an actual boxer similar to Floyd Speed, this, that, and the other. Floyd would have had that for press conference two. When you spread these things out, you allow the narrative to build. They just kind of smashed narrative into a four-day span, and I don't think we got much out of it. It was more for the fans at those given stadiums to attend the events rather than for us to watch it as a viewer 10,000 miles away or wherever we are. Now, not to want to stay on the same subject here, a little bit away from the press conference. So talking about the actual fight, I know neither of us are actual big boxing guys, don't know the sport too well. But say, you know, against what experts believe, McGregor goes out and puts in a good performance, maybe goes 12 rounds, maybe, you know, gets lands a few good punches, ends up losing anyways. If he puts on a good showing and, you know, establishes himself as a boxer, do you think he ever goes back to the UFC? Or after yes. this fight that he has this one taste of, oh, look at how much money I just made for one you know, one night of fighting that's more than I've made in my entire UFC career. Does he become that next name that, you know, Canelo Alvarez wants to face, that Triple no, because, G wants to face? Because you want to walk down murderer's row. If, if he beats Floyd Mayweather, it's out of a stroke of luck. Oh, I, I, that I agree. But if, if, him if, on he, the chin. if he beats Floyd Mayweather by that stroke of luck, he's absolutely boxing again next. Well, that, but that's what I'm saying. Then you have to walk down murderer's row of actual young fighters who have knockout capability, who don't have broken hands and arthritic wrists. You have to go beat Canelo. You have to go beat Triple G. There's a lot of young talent to where – Conor McGregor is not going to run through him like this is a game of Mortal Kombat. Like, that's not how this is going to go down if he does win in that case. Honestly, like you said, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen. We're not, fight, we're not fight analysts, but this really, if someone doesn't get knocked out in this fight, we're all going to feel sold short. Agreed. Because a knockout is really why you're going to pay for a $99 pay-per-view whether it's a surprising knockout from from McGregor knocking out Mayweather or Mayweather's first knockout in 20 years. That's the only way that people are going to feel vindicated that this 
was worth their time, worth their money. Because it's it's a WWE matchup. It, it's it's a sideshow, and we want the WWE sideshow finish. I want I want Mayweather to knock out McGregor and then slam two beers together like Stone Cold and, and throw him in his face. Like that's what this feels like. It's taking on theater of the absurd. Now I. This might be the you know conspiracy theorist in me, the thinking that this whole thing has been planned for you know however long they've been talking about it. I'm kind of of the belief that Mayweather can do whatever the hell he wants with McGregor in the ring, and that he's just going to kind of toy with him for you know however many I think with twelve rounds, he's just going to kind of toy with him, and maybe in the twelfth go for a knockout somewhat like that. I don't know, but I, I think he's going to toy with him, win the fight easily, and then say, oh, he lasted twelve. We should have a rematch. We should go again. He landed some good shots and then make an even bigger payday. Because I do think, while he might not be a smart person, he's not a good person, he is a great businessman, and he knows how to make money off fighting. And I, 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 Yeah, but at a certain point, Floyd is going to just lean on his promotional side. I really think this one's important to him, too, because 50 isn't one more than 49. 50's a lot more than 49 when you're talking about a fighter's record. Yeah. 49-0 and looks good. 50-0 and is unequivocally legendary that's there there's a big step to be taken in this fight for floyd whereas in that same thought process 51 isn't much greater than 50 no. is kind of my thought process behind it Fair i don't know but we got a couple more weeks to talk about it mayweather mcgregor hopefully that uh they do kind of keep us interested and find ways over the next four or five weeks to uh to keep this thing interesting all right, Matt, uh, that, that's that. Uh, how about we jump into some segments here? Let's go. Buy or sell? We had buy or sell with Cap. We're doing a little bit more buying and selling right now. You want to start it off? I will start it off, Joe. This last week, uh, a lot of the conferences, college football conferences, had their media days. Jimbo Fisher uh, proclaimed at, at ACC Media Day that the ACC is now clearly the premier conference in college football. Buy or sell? The ACC is the top conference. If you're selling, who is? Um, that last caveat makes it difficult for me because my point here is I'm going to sell, but I'm going to sell because there is no preeminent conference in football right now. Okay. It, there, there are good teams that are all in different conferences, and from year to year, one of those teams, two of those teams are going to claim dominance over the rest of the, uh, of the country. And if if you look at it, because I think the deeper we get into the college football playoff, the less meaning those other bowl games have on anything. So if you look at the breakdown of the three years, the 12 teams that have been a part of it, there have been three ACC teams, three Big Ten teams, three SEC teams, two Pac-12 teams, and one Big 12 team. So ACC, Big Ten, and SEC have all had made three trips to the college football playoff. The SEC, those trips have all come from Bama. The Big Ten, those three trips have come between uh, two from Ohio State, one from Michigan State. And the ACC's three trips have come from Clemson and Florida State. So I think you're looking at six top-tier teams that continue to be in the college football playoffs, all from different conferences. So I think at the ACC media days, yeah. Jimbo Fisher is going to say some stuff like that. They do have great talent. They do have great players right now. And it's all a matter of, again, college football comes down to recruiting. Who's recruiting the talent? Can I get a kid from the South to come up and play football for me if I'm Jim Harbaugh at Michigan? Yeah, I can. So three years from now, that kid might be the stud and might be the Heisman Award winner. It's a constantly changing landscape. Right now, at this moment, who is the preeminent conference? That's hard to say. Maybe it is the maybe it is the ACC, but at any given moment, a Big Ten team or an SEC team, top half team, could beat an ACC team. No, I actually I love that answer. Um, I, I they think it's, it's it's absolutely perfect. I don't really have an argument for it. Um, yeah, I think you, it's, it's, you it's, make it's, me I, blush, hey, Joe. I, when, <laughs> when you're right, you're right. Um, you know, obviously, you're always going to have those you know, four or five teams that are always going to be up top, but college football, especially over the last few years, has just kind of been those middle tier teams taking their turn, you know, kind of rotating up to compete with those top level and then cycling back down. Like last year we had Washington in the yes. college football playoff after being, you know, a mid tier team. But it, it it's fun to have this argument. Whereas, you know, about five years ago it was the SEC and it wasn't even close. Um, now we have those teams from the big 10, you know, the mid tier teams from the big 10, you know, mid tier teams from the ACC, Pac-12, 
all coming up, and, and now there is an argument again. It's, it's, it's nice to see the depth throughout college football, I think. Yeah, Matt, but are you, uh, the point of my argument here that I think, uh, if we could go back to for a second, is that because of the lack of emphasis put on bowl games, like it used to mean something to go to the Chick-fil-A bowl game, as sad as that is, or it used to mean something to go to the Outback bowl game. As aside, sad as that is. Aside from... <laughs> Aside from revenue dollars and this conversation, the depth of a conference really doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. It's, it's, it's can you get a team into the college football playoff? Your depth is really just for revenue sharing, that, that you want all your teams to go to a bowl so we can all make money. That's why. But, but from the consumer standpoint, who are your top-tier teams? That's what matters now because we do have the college football playoff. Hopefully this thing can extend to eight teams and – then the depth of a conference does get a little bit more interesting, or at least that conversation gets a little bit more interesting. I'm with you, Joe. Let's uh, let's move on before we dive too deep into football again. All righty. Well, we're, you can tell we're hungry. We're hungry we for a We want it so game. bad. Matt, buy or sell. It's open championship week, baby. Major Majors out on the PGA Tour. Buy or sell. The winner at the Open will come from outside of the top ten. In the world golf, in the world rankings, in the world golf rankings, outside the top ten, I am going to sell because okay. I am. A, I'll, I'll pick. I'll throw out my main pick there now. I think it's. I think it's Sergio's year. I think uh, he, he finally got that first major. He historically plays well at that British Open. I think Sergio's going to find a way to take it. So I'm going to sell. Not not as in depth of an answer as you had to your my buy or sell question for you, but I'm I'm going to sell. I'm going to take Sergio. Concise, Matt. You're concise in your Always answer, and I respect been. the hell out of that. Short, sweet, well, if you're point. given, if you're given your pick right now, I'm going to give my pick as well. Uh, how we've been doing it again? We're going to do the money list: winner buys a round of golf for the loser for the majors. So we'll have to go back and total our money list before the British here from. Uh, oh, you definitely won from the, the US, US, US. Yeah, but but I could flop here. I sure. could flop here. My pick is Hideki Matsuyama. Is my is my big name pick. I think Hideki's been right on that precipice. He's been in, in barking distance at a lot of these majors. And I think, you know, just his steady game, his patience, his ability to bounce back from a mistake because you're going to find yourself in a pot bunker and you're going to have to chip out backwards. And I think it takes the calm that it almost takes at a U.S. Open to, to come out victorious on a windy, blustery course um, uh, in in the Open Championship, and uh, so my pick is Hideki Matsuyama. Matt, give me your sleeper at the Open Championship. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go with the with the sleeper first here. I, okay. I'm, just, I'm currently up in the air on on a couple here, and I, I need you know twenty twenty more seconds. Okay, I think sleeper wise, <laughs> it's important to look at guys' recent performances. You got to look at a guy who's got the hot hand, who's performed well in big tournaments. Uh, a name that you might not know that I'm gonna go with here, Tommy Fleetwood. Tommy Fleetwood, it was a, he had a top 10 finish at the U.S. Open. He's played well in a couple tournaments between now and then. I think Tommy Fleetwood finishes again in the top 10 at this major. He's my sleeper pick. Oh, man. I, I, this pains me to do it. I don't, I, it. He qualifies as a sleeper because he's where he's if you say in the world golf If you say Ian Poulter, I'm going to uh, slap you across your mouth. I'm sorry. Matt, if you, if, if you were in Lincoln, Nebraska right now, I'd slap uh, Joe, you I, I, honestly, your I mouth. Honestly, I feel dirty for wanting to pick him. You know, you know, no, I'm – no, you picked him. You picked I'm him. You're locked it. in on Ian Poulter, and you should be ashamed of yourself. I have never felt more dirty after making a prediction. There you go. So you have Ian Poulter and Gross. Sergio Garcia. Yeah. Just, do you have a captain for that European Ryder Cup team that you're that you're fielding over on your side right now? Oh, it's got to be Colin Montgomery. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so I'm going Hideki Matsuyama, Tommy Fleetwood. We will see how that shakes down this weekend at the Open Championship. Um, being played at, uh, help me out here, uh, Royal Burkdale. Royal Burkdale. Royal Burkdale. Um, they're saying that it's a classic setup. Uh, you're going to see a lot of things that you would see at a St. Andrews or at a Carnoustie. Blustery winds, uh, fescue, fine fescue, and uh, it should be a it should be a fun one. Uh, British Open's always an interesting watch, which leads me to a bonus buy or sell on that. Oh, bonus, bonus buy or sell. Buy or sell. Waking up at 1:30 a.m. to watch. The Open Championship. If I'm not working, then I, actually, granted, I might be still up because just I'm, getting I don't get in work from work home yeah. from twelve, twelve till twelve, twelve thirty. So I am absolutely all in on that. Buy it. I, I usually uh, catch a few hours of that overnight coverage as well. Why the hell not? <laughs> 
All right. Uh, I believe my turn now. We got buy or yep. sell. Joe, ESPN.com, if, if, you're, if you're on there very often, is treating the NBA Summer League here like it's round one of the NBA playoffs. Are you buying or selling the hype that they are creating for, let's just, not the league, for Lonzo Ball on, on in his NBA Summer League performance? Are you buying or selling seeing what he does, his stat line after every single game? I'd like to sell this because I understand what you're saying. It is a bit much for Summer League, but they've somehow kept my attention. I've I've listened to the reaction. I've looked at the slash line after each game, and um, they've got my attention. And I think that's really what the NBA is trying to do is become a 12-month league as, as the NFL is, and uh, I think they're doing a damn good job of it. While the content might not be uh, – the best right now or the most interesting. They are finding ways to take that and capitalize on it and keep eyes on the NBA. And uh, they're piggybacking on the Ball family and how much of a story they became. And that served as a perfect transition into this kid actually playing some basketball. So they've kept uh, my eyes and I think a lot of other eyes on the NBA in the months following the season. I'm buying it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't deny that they've done a great job promoting the summer league. I think this is the most attention I've ever seen this NBA summer league get. And I think it's partially because of this draft class and how hyped it was and especially Lonzo ball. But I think this is probably what you're going to see them try and do with it in the future. Almost make it like a mini NFL preseason uh, and just get as many people into it and watching as possible. And uh, if they have personalities like LeVar ball and Uh, Lonzo ball, they'll, uh, they'll be quite successful in that, in that pursuit. Uh, let's move on from this one. I don't like it. <laughs> All right, Matt. Last one. Buy or sell. Pretty straightforward here. Buy or sell Game of Thrones. Season premiere yesterday. I watched the premiere, but uh, I- I'm a bit of a cavalier because I've only watched a couple episodes prior to that. I just jumped right in. I don't need your context. It's about dragons, witches, and wizards. I can jump right in if I want to. So I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm going to sell it because I've never really watched it. I've never really been a Ooh. big fan of it. Um, so, so, this is it. Not a, so this is not a Game of Thrones podcast. This is not clear. a Game of Thrones podcast. If you want to, <laughs> I mean, maybe we'll talk on about it once or every once in a while like this, but no, we're not, uh, not Throners. Um, miss me with that dragon shit. I think is is what my my no, careful. My, we don't have the explicit tag yet. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, just not just not. I'm not against. Like I'm, I don't I don't actively like go. I'm not one of those guys who goes on Twitter and makes fun of people for watching it or you know tries no, to be that no. guy who says I don't watch it and whatever. Like I just I never really got into it. I was told I wouldn't really like it all that much, and now it's a little bit too late to get into it. And I'm, I've never I, been yeah, into the I whole always... wizard magic dragon spell thing and i know i just i'm gonna have throners who heard that and want to kill me for saying that's what it's about but <laughs> they're not spells dragons they're don't even su- happen till season five they're superpowers <laughs> but no it's again i can understand how someone would be into it but a lot of times when you get behind on one of these shows like a a big blockbuster like a breaking bad i had to go back and watch five seasons of breaking bad so i could jump into it and that's just a lot it's a lot I of don't, work i don't have however many 60 hours to dedicate to witches and wizards or and i know it's probably not even witches but to dedicate to game of thrones I, ju- I just that seems to be too much for me but my girlfriend watches it i'm gonna watch it with her i'll ask you're, a couple questions you're a good boyfriend. I'm a, casual, I'm a casual consumer of it. And last night's episode, yeah, there was some cool like, like group murders. I don't know how you want to you want to categorize it. It's exciting, but group murders uh, are cool. The, the, the storylines. Well, this little girl who has the power to like change faces um, poisoned a room full of people, and I was like, all right, I kind of get this. This is kind of sweet. So, um, Game of Thrones, we're selling on the Moose and News podcast. We're, I think, selling we're, I think on we're Game collective, of We're collectively selling the show that because we don't watch it. I don't think we're selling necessarily the idea of it. Gotcha, we we're not gotcha. anti Thrones. We're just not well, Throners. We probably just uh, cut our our listeners uh, right about in half. There, I would we say probably, more than that. We probably lost you, but for whoever is still listening that we haven't offended with our Game of Thrones takes, Matt, uh, why don't you uh, shut us down, bud? Shut it down. Shut it all down. Shut it down. Shut it down. Houston, we have shut down. I've seen enough. Shut it down. Yeah, I'm gonna gonna shut us down. Um, I was debating going with this uh, earlier in the week before this new Ezekiel Elliott incident broke, just because the 
the news was coming down that he was probably going to face a one or two game suspension for that uh, domestic violence issue, which is he, he should if it's if there's any legitimacy to it. But then this morning, you know, you wake up and we see that he was in another incident last night. Apparently. Uh, knocked out a DJ in a bar allegedly and this isn't even like at 2 in the morning this is apparently at 9.40 p.m. so I don't know how he could be in the shape to knock out somebody at a bar at 9.40 p.m. on a Sunday but I heard that he just wouldn't play any ABBA Zeke uh, just wanted to hear some ABBA and he wouldn't play any ABBA well then it's justified <laughs> uh, no but not, not, not to make a light of the situation um, Zeke's a great talent um, uh, ran behind a great offensive line last year, but took advantage of it. He was as electrifying a rookie running back as we've seen in a long time. Um, and I think hopefully he can get out of this, not spiral because I don't think he can say he's spiraling yet, but out of this news cycle, get himself a little bit of help, fix his mental mind state a little bit, just be a little bit smarter, make some better decisions, surround himself with some better people because we've seen way too many careers go downhill way too early, you know, earlier than they should because of bad decision making off the field, surrounding yourself with the wrong people and inability to, you know, distance yourself with those people. I'm not saying, you know, it's the people that he's with that are causing him to do these things, but sometimes when you get into a crossroads in your life like Zeke's at, you do need to reevaluate who you're with all the time and kind of where you're at, what you're doing. And I think he's officially come to that point. Um, domestic violence is awful. Uh, that should have been, you know, the one and only wake-up call in his life, but this seems to be another one. Um, and hopefully Zeke can get this turned around and we can be talking more about his you know, 10-year career as a Dallas Cowboys running back and hopefully Hall of Fame career instead of you know, two years down the road saying he was the you know, next great one that should have been but wasn't because of his inability to handle his off-the-field issues. I agree with you there, Matt. Hopefully Zeke can get out of his own way because he is a fan favorite. I think that he does have the support of... of uh, the general football public, and that's not always the easiest thing to do. It's not always the easiest position to be in, but uh, he's got the world in the palm of his hand right now, and hopefully he can get things figured out and, like you said, get the right people around him. I'm glad that I got the right people around me. Matt, another podcast in the books. It was a great one. Thank you again to David Kaplan. Thank you to you, Matt Rooney. Thank you to all of our listeners. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe on Instagram or on, on iTunes. Subscribe on uh, SoundCloud, everywhere we are, we need your support. We love your support. Get in those, uh, get in those mailbag questions, and we will hit your topics. We are a podcast of the people. That's going to do it for the Moose and Runes podcast, Week Twelve. Hope everybody enjoyed. Have a wonderful week, and we will talk to you soon. See you Monday. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile. For every care, a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs>